can all take your seats. Glad you're all here. Happy Easter. We've been saying that for the last few weeks, and we're going to keep on saying it. Uh, we're in a 50-day celebration. Um, we're hoping that the Golden State Warriors go all the way in uh, these playoffs for sure, but imagine if they do, that we kept celebrating it like months. Uh, we just keep the party going and going and going. Uh, that's what this resurrection celebration is. We're not just here two weeks ago saying, Happy Easter, and uh, we'll see you next year. Uh, it is a 50-day celebration, and in this 50-day celebration, uh, after Jesus rises from the dead, he starts making appearances physically, bodily. He starts visiting some of the disciples to indeed prove his resurrection to them. Last week, we looked at the, the topic of failure, and uh, we said resurrection in our failure. So remember Peter, the last interaction he had with Jesus before Jesus dies, Peter fails him. Imagine what that interaction is going to be like when Jesus saw Peter upon Jesus' resurrection. What does Jesus do with our failures? And we see Jesus beautifully last week making fish tacos. He makes breakfast for his disciples. He makes breakfast. He comes to them in the midst of their failures. And we are those people, we said, full of failures, a, a complex creature, faithful yet unfaithful, beautiful yet broken. And so today we come to another one of those topics, doubt. Resurrection in our doubt. And we look at another very famous character here in the Bible known as Doubting Thomas. We've all heard of him, perhaps. I'm thinking of uh, Caravaggio's painting of Doubting Thomas. Uh, around 1601, Caravaggio, the Italian artist, uh, oil on canvas. Have you seen this? It is beautiful what he does with this piece. The disciples who are in the background are bending their necks. They can't wait to see Thomas see Jesus. They're so excited to see what is Thomas's response going to be to this Jesus. And if you've seen this painting, you, you probably perhaps love best of all that Jesus's hand is on Thomas's hand, gently placing Thomas's hand in his scars and in his wounds. Oh, the gentleness of Jesus in the midst of our doubts. And those are the two things we want to talk about today. Number one, that we're all doubters. We are those people. We have tremendous doubts. And the second thing we're going to look at here is that Jesus is a safe place for doubters. I hope that you know that. If you don't know that, I want you to leave here knowing that Jesus is a safe place. Jesus is a safe person in the midst of all of your doubts, whatever those doubts are. We're all doubters, right? I don't know about you, but I need to taste it. I want to touch it. I want to feel it. I want to see it. And after I've experienced it, I will have an opinion of what I just experienced. We do that when we eat. We hear of a great restaurant. We hear of a great uh, sports team. And it's not until, if you're like me, I have to experience it. Um, and I know that God's made us that way. So the very first thing we want to say about doubts is that they're normal. And if you're sitting here right now and you're already thinking quite piously, well, I don't have any doubts in God, I hope I stir up some doubts in you. I hope you leave here in a new way thinking, hmm, maybe I should doubt that I don't even doubt some things about God. Might God be mysterious enough that even God's character goes beyond your imagination and beyond your intellect? So I hope you leave here with some doubts. If most of your personality is a doubter, <laughs> You doubt everything, 
I, I would hope that you would leave here doubting some of your doubts. That maybe God has a, a different way of treating you in your doubts than you've ever imagined. Maybe the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus being a real person, uh, is, is, becomes more real to you than you've ever, ever imagined. How many of us have ever said in our relationship with God, unless God answers my prayer like in two minutes, I'm not going to believe. Unless God provides for me in this way, like if I get to marry that woman, um, I will not believe. Unless the situation works out in such a way, here those are conditions. And my point here is that I believe we all have them. All of us have sort of had that inner prayer life, that conversation going on with God here. And, and I'm just saying that Jesus invites you, there's an invitation to me, to you, to know what those doubts are. Do you know what those doubts are? I think for me, perhaps in my um, teenage years, uh, being a 20-something, being a 30-something, now I'm a 40-something, uh, there have been old doubts that I've had with God. There have been new ones that have cycled through. And then it's, uh, God does something amazing to reveal his godness to me in that particular doubt. But then it's been repeat. Old doubt shows back up again. New doubt shows up again. And I don't know about for you, but some of those doubts for me as it relates to God has been, God, I believe that you exist, like intellectually, I, I believe that, but in terms of believing and trusting in you about my future? What? With my money? What? With my sexuality? What? With uh, my dreams? What? Um, that, that's where my doubts have really shown themselves in my relationship with God. I don't know what your doubts are. I, I don't know where you are, but I'm inviting you to know what, those, know what those doubts are. I think currently some of my doubts would include why suffering, why evil, and if God is so strong and God is so good, why do we linger? Why, why are we waiting? Why is there so much waiting for Jesus to return once again. You, you get that question? You understand that? So as we, as we celebrate the resurrection, we're not only celebrating that he rose from the dead, we're celebrating that Jesus is going to come back one day and bring some order and some beauty to the chaos and to the funk. And so my question is, why isn't that happening sooner? Because <laughs> it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Another doubt I'm having is that God is going to really provide for those in need. He's, he's provided for me in miraculous ways over the years. Um, but, but, I, but I doubt at times. Am I scaring you by mentioning some doubts I have? Is this okay? Is this all right? Somebody's like, I'm in church, man. The minister, he's got doubts. Oh, no. Let's all run. Now, my point in saying... Um, Become familiar with your doubts is the same invitation that Jesus is giving his disciples. Because if your faith in Jesus is not uh, robust enough in a Jesus that is truly who he says that he is, um, you shouldn't believe. He, he's indeed inviting you to sort of punch some holes in the bottom of the boat. And the boat is strong enough, the gospel of Jesus is strong enough to, to uphold you right in the middle of all of your doubts. Um, okay, so let's turn to Doubting Thomas here for just a minute. Imagine your best friend has just been arrested. He just died. 
and he just rose from the dead. And now there are stories that perhaps he's been walking around visiting people. You and a few of, a few of your other friends are in a locked room, the text says. You're in a locked room. It's Easter, and Jesus shows up to you all. How did he get in the locked room? Well, it just says he appeared. What does he say whenever he appears? Peace. Peace be unto you. When you want to know something about Jesus and how he interacts with people, that's the very first thing Jesus says on multiple accounts. Peace. Peace be with you. Imagine, though, that you're not there on that Sunday when Jesus arrives and reveals himself to his disciples. That's Thomas. Perhaps Thomas was on a walk. Perhaps Thomas was out doing something different, but Thomas was not there on Easter when Jesus showed up to those disciples. Uh, so we follow his story. Um, there, there they are in verse 25. If you'll look at the text, uh, the, the disciples tell Thomas, we, we've seen the Lord. We, we saw him. The, the disciples are telling Thomas what they had witnessed. Thomas, you, you, you're not going to believe it. We saw the Lord. The same Lord that had promised that he was going to rise from the dead, we actually saw him. It happened. This is for real. It's legit. Look how Thomas replies to them. This would be me, by the way. Probably you too in verse 25. He says, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I just want to say that the table church is a safe place for questions. It is a safe place for doubt and process. Jesus could have very easily, upon rising from the dead, left a little note on his folded clothes saying, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Uh, I've risen, just take my word for it. Uh, rather, he, he loves exploration. He loves those early disciples running to the tomb, looking in, wondering, curious. He loves your curiosity. So the table church, myself, other members here, this is a safe place to be having these conversations, whatever doubt, whatever questions are there. Let's watch here how Jesus shows up and ministers to doubting Thomas and how Jesus shows up to you personally too, whatever doubts that are there. Now, you know there are certain places that discriminate against doubt. Can you think of some of those places? For me, it was one of the schools I attended growing up. How ironic. You're at school. You're hoping you're in a safe place. You're hoping you can ask a question. And yet there stands a teacher just sort of frowning at you, wondering, why did you ask such a question? Um, or you've got peers. Have you ever been in a setting where you had peers kind of almost shame you for a question that you've had in public? Have you had that happen before? Truth be told, they got the same question. They just weren't bold enough to ask it. Um, how about in church? You ever been in a church been in a church setting, been in a church event, been in a culture of church or a subculture of Christianity where better not ask any questions. Uh, we should know the answers. I remember asking um, my Sunday school teacher one time a question, and the question was something like this. So how do we know that we're believing um, the, the, the right things here about Jesus? How, how do we know that, and how can we have certainty with that? And I got silence. It was just utter silence. And so I went home, where, you know, kind of where you go, and I asked my mom and my dad the same question. So how do we know? 
And the answer I got was, well, we just do. Hmm. Not good enough. My question asking kept going. Uh, I've had conversations with my mom and my dad about this since, but have you been in that place before where question asking or doubting or pondering or thinking is viewed as, well, when you grow up spiritually, you won't really have these kind of questions, so we hope you mature. Jesus is not that way. Jesus is a safe place that is saying, I know you have questions. You're trying to pose and act like you don't. I know that you do. Won't you get real with me? Won't you go ahead and ask those and express those to me? And that's exactly where I'm going to meet you. That's the beauty of the doubts, that he's actually allowing them to take place with us. Look here how he comes to Thomas. Uh, Jesus isn't threatened by doubts. Remember, um, I mean, are you getting this? Do, Do you see how cool and exciting this really is that Thomas wasn't there on the Sunday when Jesus shows up, yet Jesus knows his doubts. Jesus knows verbatim exactly what Thomas needs. Therefore, Jesus came back. Don't miss that. Jesus came back a second time and visits with Thomas. Um, Jesus is, in fact, saying, I love you. I love you, Thomas. I know your questions. I know your doubts. I I care and love you so much that however big, however large your doubts are, your confusion, your questions, they're not larger than my grace. They're not larger than my mercy. They're not larger than my desire to pursue you and take you from uncertainty to certainty. I desire that for you. He comes back. He doesn't shame Thomas. Imagine some teacher or some parent who normally well, typically, sometimes can shame their students. You didn't know the answer? What? Jesus doesn't say in this text when he greets Thomas, where's your faith? Come on, Thomas. Get it together, man. Have some faith. Would you believe already? He doesn't do that for Thomas. He does verbatim exactly what Thomas is needing him to do. Verse 28, look at at Thomas' response here to Jesus. Seeing the risen Jesus with his physical eyes, spiritual eyes, even he's right there with him, seeing the risen Christ. Verse 28, he says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Not just saying God, like intellectually, like I believe you exist, but you're the Lord. You're You're king. You're competent to to know my future. Therefore, I can believe you. Therefore, I can trust you. I can place all of my life into your hands. That's what this word belief means. Do you know the verse in the Bible that says that even the demons believe in God? Wow. That's kind of a thought, isn't it? James, the book of James says, even demons believe in God? So any of us saying, oh, I believe, what's the point? Well, um, even the demons believe. So the word belief isn't just meaning some intellectual assent to the existence of a God. It's this word trust, following, surrendering, submitting, pledging glad allegiance to the kingship of Jesus. That's what this word Lord means, kurios, the Greek word there, Lord. Not Caesar 
in that day and age, but it was now a new king, this Jesus, my Lord and my God. Jesus shows Thomas his wounds and his scars. Have you ever thought about this before? What's the big deal there? Why does Jesus want to show Thomas his scars? A little bit freakish, right? Like, okay, Jesus, we believe in you. That's good enough. I don't, I don't really need to see the scars. It's kind of grossing me out. Um, I took anatomy and physiology, and I, 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 that was enough. That's, that's plenty. Um, I think Jesus is showing Thomas his scars because I think he wants Thomas and you and me to know that the Christian life isn't absent of scars. Your life is not going to be absent of pain and suffering and deep wounds and scars. But the resurrection speaks into those scars. It speaks into those wounds like nothing else ever could. It's not self-motivation. It's not put a Band-Aid on it. But the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrected Lord, wants Thomas to see those scars and to know that by those wounds you were healed, by those scars. Remember Mary, we looked at a couple of weeks ago, and in her weeping upon the resurrection, we said because of the resurrection, you and I would never cry the same way again. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you won't cry. doesn't mean that you won't have hardship or failure, but it means that the resurrection speaks into that in a way like nothing else possibly could. It's divine medicine, the resurrection. is divine medicine that's placed right in the midst of your wound, whatever wound that is. Somebody did something to you, something you've done to someone, some pain, some scar, some doubt that's there. The resurrection is divine medicine for that particular thing, specifically that thing. You know what it is. God already knows what it is. So in conclusion, I'm asking, how do you respond? How do I respond? Oh, this is a cute little story about doubting Thomas, even a great little painting. How neat. How do you respond? How can you move into a relationship like this with Jesus? How can you and I move from uncertainty to certainty? And as I mentioned in my own personal relationship with God, there are going to be seasons where old doubts show show their ugly head again and then new doubts spring up. But God's grace through the person of Jesus is to visit you and me over and over and over again and again. I submit four things here and what this might look like for us. Number one is know your doubts. Know them. Become familiar with them. Thomas was very, very specific with his doubts. Don't just say, well, I don't have any. Thank you very much. Um, I grew out of that. I've got my spirituality in line. I'm doing pretty good. I don't have any doubts. Um, Or, you know what? I doubt the whole thing. I just doubt the whole thing. All of Christianity, I just, I doubt the whole thing. Um, See, you can't do either of those. You need to get specific with what are the doubts? What is the the beef? What what is the, the, uh, the, the moment of doubt that's there for you? List them. Write them out, perhaps. Um, Don't just run from them. Let me encourage you, as a friend, as pastor, don't run from your doubts. Guilt might make you want to do that. Something in your past might make you want to do that. The way you view God might make you want to run. Don't run in your doubts. It's a moment of learning. It's a moment of meeting Jesus 
right in the middle of it, whatever it may be, whatever may be there. And Jesus wants to tailor that experience for you. See, it's kind of chronological snobbery to read this story of Thomas and go, wow, Thomas was bold, man. Like, look how he asked, like, look at that doubt. But yet for us, when it comes to that moment for us, we get sort of timid about our own doubt. Don't be fearful in your doubt. Know it. Know what they are and let Jesus come to you. Uh, And that leads us to the second thing, honest praying. Honest praying. Your prayer life is a time for for worship, is a time for meditation. Your prayer life is a time to exalt Christ, celebrate Jesus. How much of your prayer time is having a real, like unplugged, unfiltered, take the mask off type of conversation with Jesus? Have you ever tried it before? Have you ever experienced that before? Um, some of our background and baggage keeps us from that sometimes. Ooh, I, I need to sanitize my prayers before I pray to Jesus. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Jesus can handle it. Jesus can handle you and whatever you're bringing. And that's the invitation. Bring it. Bring it. Bring it. Uh, I don't know about you, but some conversations I hear at times or ones I, conversations I hear my own self saying at times is, I'll trust you, God, if you do this. See, that's like conditional, right? I will really become a follower of you if I know that you're going to let me marry that person or you're going to increase my bank account. Or... And truth is, whatever's in that blank, fill in the blank right there, whatever's in that blank is really what's being God to us. That, that's what's controlling us. So the third thing is believe. Believe. Don't, don't miss the big point in this whole story here. He, he's, he's asking Thomas, believe. Believe. And we are those disciples that say, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. See, we're a mixture. The times when we're believing, then there are moments of utter doubt. Verse 29 said, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's talking about you, by the way. Did you see the resurrection? Did you physically? Uh, no, none of us. He's saying you're more blessed, imagine this, you're more blessed than those that actually saw the resurrection. Blessed are you, he says. What would it mean if we really, like really, gave our tomorrow or gave our week gave our future to this king, this Lord Jesus. My Lord, my God, he says here, and that's what belief really is. What would that look like for you this week? What is it that you already know about your week? Some challenge, some moment, something perhaps that you're dreading. What is that for you? This is where it gets personal. This is where this story begins to apply to you and to me as we begin to thoughtfully meditate and ask God to speak to us about what might this look like. That's what we mean, by the way, when we say resurrection everywhere, the series that we're in. When we say resurrection everywhere, we mean resurrection coming into your doubt, coming into your fear, coming into your failure, coming into your success. 
Yes, it goes to all nations everywhere, but it also goes into those places that we can't imagine to bring life. I mean, do you hear this? Does, does this just blow you away? Does it excite you? Does it motivate you? Does it grab you like nothing else? Again, whatever that thing is that grabs you, that's your God. That's your Savior. That's your Lord. Lastly, number four is breathing space. Look how the disciples give Thomas breathing space. They give him room. That's very instructive for you and for me as we learn to treat each other like a community. The disciples are not saying, hey, Thomas, you're getting out of line over there, buddy. You're not believing like you should. You know you shouldn't be asking those kind of questions around here. They give them breathing room and space. They're not judgmental about Thomas because Thomas isn't expressing belief so quickly. Remember Peter? Watch what happens to Peter. I'll die with you, Jesus. I'll go all the way with you, Jesus. Yet Peter denies Jesus. Look at Thomas. Shows a little doubt. Shows some good questions. Truly believes Jesus. Wonderful. They give him breathing space. Verse 31, he says, These things were written so that you might believe. Verse 31 is encouraging you and me as a community to meet up with someone in this community during the week. Discuss the word together. Pray for each other together. Talk about those doubts together. Don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. If you've ever had a doubt uh, specifically about God and you tried to go it alone, wow, that's incredibly painful. And your enemy, Satan, demons galore, are wanting to put doubt upon doubt upon doubt upon confusion all over you and have you swirling in that whole funk. Meet up with someone in this community. Give each other breathing space to talk to each other, to listen to each other. This is what we mean by resurrection everywhere. It's coming into your fear. It's coming into your future. It's coming into your identity. Literally, what you think about yourself, what you think about God. Let's leave some moments right now to pray, shall we? Father, we... We pray right now, each of us, uh, that we would feel the welcome of Jesus to be real with our doubts, to bring those doubts, bring those questions to you. Jesus, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy and your patience in our doubts. Help us be honest. Help us believe and trust you as Lord and King and Savior. Father, we believe we're not here by an accident. We're not here by coincidence that you've called us here to hear your voice and experience your love. Open our lives right now that we might receive you. Open our hearts right now. Open our minds. Reveal what doubts are right there right now and meet us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.